from WDTV in Waterbury. Welcome to Vermont Viewpoint, the live radio show where we talk about everything on my mind and yours. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Friday, November 24th, and all of us here at DEV hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Today on the program, the Week in Review, my take on national and Vermont news that happened to us this week from Israel and Hamas and hostage negotiation to touching stories all around us. We'll be joined by guests who will help us along. We might even share a story or two about the late, great Ken Squire, who we lost this week. At 10 a.m., we're going to join our Washington correspondent, Bob Nay, for our weekly discussion of D.C. politics and the like. At 10.15, we'll join Seven Days reporter Marianne Lichtig with another great feature story from her about a former chef to the stars who's opened up a new store in Heinsberg. And at 10.30, it's back to the movies with Vermont Viewpoint film and TV critic Kevin Ellis. Sorry, not Kevin Ellis. I read that wrong. Keenan Ellis will compare notes on the best films and TVs to TV shows to watch during the holiday season. And there's a bunch that I want to get to really quickly. That's the show for today. I welcome your calls as we review the news. The number to call is 244-1777, or you can email me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. We got a lot of calls and uh, texts and emails uh, about our show on Wednesday about the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination uh, and the proposal by a, a coalition of groups in Montpelier to persuade the legislature to raise income taxes on those people making over $500,000. Um, so feel free to call in about that where we can, we can rehash some of that. Um, again, the number to call 244-1777. But first, we had a Thanksgiving Day meal yesterday. We had it all. And we were grateful. I made my Brussels sprouts recipe, and I will describe it for you now because it was really good. Total hit. And I'm uh, kind of brimming with pride, actually. Cider glazed Brussels sprouts. Okay, here we go. Get your pen out or start typing. Uh, Slice the sprouts in half, put them in a bowl, and toss them in olive oil. Not too much. Uh, and some salt and pepper. Lay them out on a cookie sheet and put them in the oven at 425. Okay, got it? Got to put them face down, by the way. That's key. Then dice some shallots. You can use onions in a pitch, pinch, but I use shallots. Throw them in a cast iron skillet. Oh, by the way, you can use, well, last night we used some of the grease from the turkey uh, that we threw in the skillet to get it get it moved. Then add diced apples, preferably the sweet kind. So you can use Fuji. Uh, I used Fuji apples last night. You can use any kind of apples, actually. But Fuji, I liked a lot. Uh, stir that around in a cast iron skillet. When it's soft, add some apple cider and a touch of apple cider vinegar. And that is boiled away. Throw in the Brussels sprouts, and then throw in some pine nuts. 
Now, in my case, didn't have pine nuts available, so guess what we did? We used pistachios. And it's fun to sit around and uh, shell pistachios with uh, kids or grown-ups of any age. Uh, you'll be amazed what gets talked about over shelling pistachios. So somebody said, why didn't you get, why didn't you buy pistachios without the shells? I said, because then you don't get to sit around and chat while you're shelling the pistachios. Throw it all in, mix it all together so that the glaze, the apple glaze gets all over the sprouts and you have a delectable feast. Good for Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas or a cold Monday in February. We ate that along with all sorts of other things yesterday. Um, but the highlight of my of, of my Thanksgiving, I got to say, was the conversation I had with my daughter-in-law about Israel and Hamas. It was a classic. Uh, and it was exactly the opposite of the kind of, of, the kind of conversation that, uh, that we get told every day that you can no longer have in this country and in this world. And all, all I, excuse me, all I read in the media all day long was how to deal with the crazy uncle uh, at the Thanksgiving Day table, you know, tricks of the trade, things that you can do to avoid having a, dis, you know, a disastrous Thanksgiving. Well, off in the corner, uh, my daughter-in-law and I talked about Israel and Hamas, and we, we went over everything, uh, two-state solution, one-state solution. Uh, the history, the religion, the war, uh, the anger, um, the resentment, uh, and and she, by the way, is uh, originally from Egypt and uh, brings a whole different perspective uh, to all of this um, that I had really never considered before. And uh, you know, at the end of a well, it's the kind of conversation that you you know you you do twenty minutes. And then you come back to it later in the evening, and then you come back to it again and again and again. And uh, I think I think where we came out in the end was um, that everybody in this situation and everybody in our situation needs to try to listen better. And if people are going to live without war at some at some point. Somebody's going to have to make uh, a statement. Somebody's going to have to come to the table. Uh, and we reviewed the way people came to the table. Anwar Sadat back in with Jimmy Carter in, oh gosh, 78, I'm guessing. Uh, uh, Yitzhak Rabin at the White House shaking hands with the Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat in a deal brokered by Bill Clinton. And then we got to the point in the conversation where, you know, inevitably Rabin was assassinated for doing what he did. There was a case of, a, of an Israeli leader who said, enough war, I'm coming to the table and we're going to try to fix this situation. Um, those people don't seem to be around right now. Uh, you'd be amazed how in history uh, people like that can emerge. But uh, right now, I think history is uh, begging for someone like that to emerge pretty clear that it's not Benjamin Netanyahu um, and pretty clear. It's not the, the leaders of, uh, 
of the military wing of Hamas. Uh, so much water under this bridge. But I'll tell you, with with conversations like I had with my daughter-in-law last night, um, you know, there's a glimmer of hope. You see that at this very moment, there is a pause in the fighting, and there is going to be a swap of hostages or prisoners. Um, let's just hope that that can uh, can work and that people can survive and we can start rebuilding we we in the united states can start helping uh, to rebuild that area so that people can live some sort of life of meaning when we come back uh, we're going to be joined by a surprise guest and we'll talk more about what we did on Thanksgiving and what we look forward to uh, today and the rest of the season. We'll take your calls, 244-1777. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis, and you're listening to WDEV. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint, and we're taking your calls at 244-1777. And uh, I just wanted to remind everybody one more time, if you want to send condolence cards, letters, whatever, to the family of WDEV owner Ken Squire, you can do so by sending them to us right here at the station in Waterbury. WDEV PO Box 550, Waterbury, Vermont, 05676, or just drop by the studio, 9 Stowe Street, Waterbury. Um, so let's go to the phones. I think we have a, I think we have a surprise guest on the uh, show Who's calling in there from Stowe or from Elmore? Yeah, yeah Elmore, but yeah, uh, yeah, hey, Ken, Kevin Ellis, it's Rusty here. Rusty, how you doing? <laughs> Rusty DeWeese, how are you? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, yeah, yeah. What do you What do you have? What do you have this morning? You're doing a little potpourri? Yeah, a little potpourri, taking calls, talking about Thanksgiving. I just described my, my cider glazed. Brussels sprouts recipe. I thought it was pretty good. Brussels sprouts are good. Are you hearing me all right? Yeah, I can hear you. How about me? Because there's a delay in your response. But, yeah, Brussels sprouts are good. Yeah, don't buy people. Don't buy into this, this, this division. That's all market. You know this. It was your business. That's all media. They want you to think that people. I go all over the place. I don't go to, you know overseas and stuff people aren't people aren't at each other's throats listen contention gathers votes contention accumulates votes media wants there to be contention wants you to think that everybody's mad at everybody because you know we slow down a lot more when there's an accident on the side of the road than when there's a booster club having a bake sale that's just human nature, and they know that. So everywhere I go, there's a lot of pleasant people and uh, getting along like you described at your Thanksgiving table. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, great, great situation. So, uh, Rusty, tell me about yeah. um, your relationship with Ken Squire. <clears throat> I will. Thanks. I won't. You know, I know you have a lot going on today. Uh, I grew up in Stowe, Vermont, and Ken was uh, – well, I'll go in stages. Ken hired me when I was 16 years old to do what? To teach his 
daughter Ashley drums. I was a percussionist, and Ashley was <laughs> is five years younger than I am. Oh, that's the guy. Yeah, it was in that uh, every that so everybody talks about that famous silo house up in uh, Stowe Hollow. So that was the first time. It's kind of cool to as a young kid. I was sixteen to drive up there and see the famous, you know, Ken Squire. And he was very nice. He was pretty tired a lot of the time because he was all over the place flying, doing the CBS stuff then. And then fast forward, just fast forward to I'm in New York City during my 30s, which is in the 90s. And uh, I would come home a lot of most weekends and I was working in movies and TV and the, the really big industry ones. And I would come home and I really got to know Ken and vice versa, because I'd come home, drive, drive home. It'd be like 12 o'clock. I'd be coming to that red light, which wasn't there at the point, into Stowe. And I would look to see that, I think it was a, what was that, Jag, parked on the right side of the road in front of Bear Palm Books, because I knew Ken Squire had just flown in, and he was at Hapleton's, which is where Harrison's is now, a restaurant. They stayed open till 1 o'clock back then, Kevin. <laughs> so I... I had a great time. I would go in there. I was, I was in my 30s, and Ken was, you know, still doing it. And uh, I would sit with Ken, and he'd say, he'd say, sit here. And we would talk industry talk. And for a young little kid in, from Stowe that was down in New York by himself doing all this stuff, it was great to have someone else to talk to me about that business and make it legitimate for me. And he got a kick out of hearing what was going on in my world, too. So that was really fun. And then and in the middle of that, I come up with this play I write called The Logger. And I did a movie called Black Dog, and I met Meatloaf, and Meatloaf said you should produce it around your hometown and all this stuff. And I was on the set, and I was on the set of Black Dog, and I wanted to, and I was getting ready to produce the thing in about a month and a half. And I called, and I got in touch with Ken when I was home. We were home for a while. They flew us back from Atlanta. And um, I said, how do I do this? He said, well, I'll partner with you. I'll do the ads on DEV and the posters, and I'll take a little piece of it. So uh, that was the first time I did the show as a, the whole two-act show at Stowe Town Hall. did it like five nights. The gross was really good. And yes, he did take his, his, uh, his cut when I went into the office to meet him. So there was that mentorship. And, and then I, I checked this out. He, he did this to so many, for so many people. Then I got, a, I got an idea to do a video. Not just one video, but two videos. And literally sitting in his office down there, he says, you need sponsors. I said, yeah, I, I think I'm going to. And he makes one call to a woman named, and I know a lot of people listening to this, Ken made a lot of one calls for people. And he called up Roberta McDonald at Cabot Creamery. Oh, my God. She was then. The, you know, yeah. And he says, I got this guy sitting in front of me. He's not worth much. But he's got this little two-bit play. He's playing it around. See, Ken loved the fact that I would just get in my car and go to a theater in, in Timbuktu and do this show. He loved that. That's that's what he that's what he did. He went from town to town and entertained in, in very different mediums. And he says he needs a sponsor for the first couple of videos. These things are going to go crazy. So she said, yep, we're in. And I don't even want to say how much money that was for each video. Boom. The Cabot Creamery was the lead sponsor in my first two videos. So, so, so now during all this, we're developing a friendship. And then the last part of the story is I was at Thunder road and uh, one time and the logger was in, in its infancy still, but I think there's my first video was out. I'm standing on the Hill and Ken's standing there. What's going on? You know, and 
He says, you ever think about doing this? And I knew darn well what he meant. It's not so much, he knew racing wasn't in my blood, but he meant for my business. So I said, well, yeah, kind of. And he said, it would be good for you to be out there on that track. So he put me in his uh, LVB car and I was flipping over two or three times over the third turn there. And um, I got a lot of publicity out of it, had a lot of fun. And uh, so those are just a little satellite pieces of my relationship with Ken. And I think probably those little things I mentioned are exactly the same fundamentally that he did for, excuse me, thousands of people. But that's my little story. I love the piece about uh, sitting there making one phone call. Uh, The guy had a Rolodex. Uh, and I got to tell you, this happens in my life. I, I love nothing more than meeting. I have a rule that I learned from some business partners of mine, which is always take the meeting. Uh, just always take the meeting, especially if they're younger uh, and they're looking for a break. And if you can make that one yeah. phone call that leads that leads to something, it really matters. And he did that. He did it, and I know you do that, and, and other people out in the audience do it, too. Why it was specifically with Ken Squire, why it was so <laughs> extra valuable for me is that he, like you said, his Rolodex was huge, but and he, he had done all of the things that I was trying to do, you know, to, which yeah. is to entertain, go from town to town. And so he, he was, that was his life. And so, uh, but, but, but also that we became friends. I know I was happy. I was lucky within the last year uh, to have called Ashley and my friend, Eric Adams is good friends with Ashley and I'm good friends with Ashley and she called up and he went, when Ken was at his house there uh, below Robbie and Ashley, I was uh, lucky enough to go up there and play guitar for him a couple of times. He was in really good shape and boy, everybody out there listening knows what Ken Squire's face was when he smiled, it would light up the room. So it was a, uh, I was fortunate to get up there. Didn't get up to see him toward the end there. It all went fast toward the end, but anyway, so yeah, it's not so fun. It's not as fun driving around town for that right now in Stowe and all when you know that uh, Ken, Ken, you're not, you're not going to run into Ken necessarily, you know. You know, he, uh, after the flood in uh, Montpelier in central Vermont, he, uh, he called the station. And I, I had done a, a show out in the field in uh, Montpelier. And I was interviewing uh-huh. uh, business owners. And, you know, those business owners were really hurting and they were crying and they were just really, really sad and despondent. And, you know, we just put it on the air, yeah. you know, and uh, Ken called the station and said, you know, you need to, you need to do that a lot. Like, so I did it. Mm-hmm. I, I went to Cabot to Harry's hardware. And then I went to, I went to Nelson's hardware at Barry and I uh, went to Johnson. And I'll tell you, they, they were the best yeah. shows we did. <laughs> and Ken would call and, tell me, you know, to keep doing it. He was, he was really inspiring. Yeah, that was that package. I remember when you were doing that and that was great. And yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised that yeah, Ken just, you, you should do that a lot. Yeah. He, 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 he would, he, that's what he did. And see more than just getting attached with Cabot through Ken or, or more than, than just uh, having him produce my first little shows at Stowe. It was for me seeing, I liked what he did, and I said to myself, I can just kind of do this business and walk around and drive around Vermont and just say hi to people and talk with people and connect with people, and it's part of my business. It can be part of my business. That's what 
pretended. It was every step he took was what he wanted to do. This is me talking, in my opinion, what he wanted to do in his life. But it also, uh, you know, folded in with his business. And I saw that in him. And I said, yeah, that's that's the guy I want. I want to do what he does, you know. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, Rusty, what did you do for Thanksgiving? Is that a big deal in your house? Well, uh, no, I had a couple invites, very generous. When it comes down to it, uh, talking about just, you know, just referencing what I just talked about. Ken was always on the road and I was always on the road. It just comes down to it for me. I don't have anybody in the house but my cat. So I just stayed at home. But I I enjoyed. I made my uh, little five-pound Misty Note chicken and then my mashed potatoes and my broccoli and – and then the eggnog, and then you're you're at your house with a lovely family and the warmth of the stove, and you know the, those uh, old school house huge pane windows, and your kids, and, and the lady you're talking about hummus and all those places, hummus, you know, not hummus, but and you're doing all that, and I'm <laughs> and I'm up there sipping eggnog with my cat watching Die Hard, but so you know it, it's whatever works. Oh, and you're looking out the window. Uh, over the valley there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. No, it's, it's a good rest, restful day, and now, and now, and now everybody's back at it. But uh, hope, uh, you know, I hope, you know, I don't want to bring it down. I want to bring it down. But you talk about Ken and uh, small towns that we all live in, the people listening to you, unless they're streaming. Oh, by, the, by the way, your son's name's Keenan, right? Yeah, that's right. The movie guy? Yeah, I just want to insert this. Uh, my favorite one is, write this down, The Homecoming, which was the Waltons TV show. That was the television pilot of the Waltons TV show. It's called The Homecoming. It's written by Earl Hamner, Jr., and it was, it was my favorite shot on film. Patricia Neal, unbelievable. William Wyndham, I wonder if Keenan knows about The Homecoming, and he should oh, run okay. out and get it. Uh, oh, but, um, okay, okay. I I got to take a break, but I got to tell you, I know the show, and... It, it it turned my life upside down. Patricia Neal, oh, my heavens, that was a fantastic show. While we're waiting for Rusty DeWeese to come back, I, I, I saw that Rosalind Carter died. And wife of Jimmy Carter, first lady of the United States, and uh, a real advocate for mental health, uh, people suffering from mental health issues, and uh, just been a, you know, was a, was a real uh, voice. You know, we, we tend to, these people get into public office and God, life gets so, we, we put them under a microscope and we examine everything they did. But boy, I'll tell you, Rosalind Carter, uh, married, married to Jimmy Carter for over 70 years. How about that? Uh, heck of a life. I think we got Rusty Dewey's back. Rusty, I was asking you, do you have any shows coming up? Yeah, I did my last, let's say, for the holidays, last show on November 18th at River Arts. That was great up in Morrisville. But I'm uh, one of the things about when I was hammering this business hard, we're talking about Ken Squire, you know, seemed like he never slowed down. But the holidays, I love. We're talking about your your son's going to do the holiday viewing list here soon on your show today. But um, I just love them. And, and when I'm heavy into shows, they go by without me uh, enjoying. So this holiday season, I don't, uh, I didn't know. I didn't book up any of those t- tours at Stowe Town Hall or anything. I'm just going to be uh, 
sitting around and trimming the tree and uh, having friends and, and, and that and that. So the next next year we'll get underway. And you'll be practicing a little bit of uh, guitar playing on that uh, on that homemade guitar you had made in Tunbridge. That's right. Yeah, Mark Bird's, Bird's Instruments. You're exactly right. I was actually going to say that the downtime from not going out there and doing shows is uh, is downtime. And it's really easy. But, yeah, a guy like me, I can just sit around, practice, and write stuff and go through my head. You know, the guitar, to, to stay on that guitar all the time is a beautiful guitar that he made me. It's working really, really well, too. So, yeah, I'll be playing some guitar, too. One of the great treats is uh, to follow Rusty Deweese on Instagram. So uh, head over to Instagram. Just hit the search button, type in his name. It'll pop up, and you get... You get some musical stuff. You get great views out of his uh, out of his barn slash garage, and uh, it's always good to have Rusty Dewey's on the show. Rusty, have a yes, great sir. holiday, and uh, I'll oh, yeah. be you somewhere. I can't wait. Yeah, thanks. Uh, have a good show. I'll be listening to you today. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Bye. Rusty. <laughs> Rusty Dewey's, and he's he's got a great point. The homecoming. It was the show, it was the pilot for what became of the famous TV show on CBS, I believe, The Waltons, and uh, which made Richard Thomas famous. But uh, the none of those people that I recall were in the original pilot, which starred Patricia Neal as the as the mother. And uh, we'll we'll see if we can stump Keenan Ellis on that issue at ten thirty. Um, yeah, it was that was God. They were waiting. It was called the homecoming, and it was Christmas Eve, and you know they were waiting for the father slash husband to come back from from a trip away, to, you know, to some lumber mill, and he was missing, and he was trumping through the snow, and everyone was sitting around the fire, and, you know, panicked and trying to avoid the difficult conversations, et cetera, et cetera. It was, a, and then he shows up. Spoiler alert, he shows up. Um, and it was, oh, God, I remember watching that as a kid. Uh, here's an announcement. It is with great sadness that we announce the passing of Steve Patterson of Middlesex. Steve died peacefully with his wife, Sally, by his side. He was 76 years old. That's the obit in VT Digger. I say that because Steve Patterson was a friend of mine. Uh, he, uh, he and I did some work together. Um, he was a, a really good, kind, brave, smart, understanding kind of guy. Uh, and he, if you were lucky enough to, to hang around with Steve Patterson, uh, you were, you were in good company. The, again, I go back to Rosalind Carter and Jimmy Carter, you know, when people are serving in office, we all, we all sort of you know, put them under the microscope and always see the mistakes that people made. You know, and Steve Patterson served in state government for a, off and on for a long time. Uh, but he, uh, you know, it was really in the rest of his life that he was just such a good guy. Um, and in addition, he took great pride in 33 years of sobriety. Beginning in 1992, uh, he lived. He began to live his life. I'm reading now from the Digger obit. 
his, he began to live his life anew with confidence, a clear mind, and a more open heart. Two years after his fresh start, he met co-worker Sally Cavanaugh. Sally, I hope you're out there listening. Their long friendship deepened into love, and they married in 2005, beginning the longest, most joyful and fulfilling partnership and family chapter in his life. Steve's career was a mix of journalism, democratic politics, and Vermont state government. Straight out of Montpelier High School, he got a journalism degree from Becker College in Massachusetts. Uh, he spent six years at the Rutland Herald and the Times Argus as a reporter covering uh, local stories, and then uh, as a member of the Vermont Press Bureau, which uh, is a mystery to some, but the Press Bureau uh, was the was the uh, joining together of the Times Argus and the Rutland Herald under the Mitchell family. Uh, he did some writing for the Boston Globe. Uh, he, it, it, I'm going to say this off the top of my head, but he, let's see, he worked for state government. Uh, after some journal, after the journalism, but then he managed the and old timers, uh, like my former business partner Bob Sherman will remember this. He managed uh, the successful Secretary of State campaign in 1976 for a fellow named Jim Guest, who was uh, kind of a golden boy of Vermont politics. Uh, and then he was uh, he worked for Jerry Diamond, who was the uh, Vermont Attorney General. Jerry, if you are out there, I. So enjoyed seeing Jerry Diamond on the street uh, in Montpelier the other day. They were headed into Hugo's restaurant uh, with the entire family. And uh, it was a treat to see Jerry Diamond. And Steve worked for him. Uh, then he then he went to work for, you know, I mean, Steve Patterson's career kind of touched on all the big stories in, in, uh, in Vermont. He worked for International Coins and Currency. He worked for Vermont Castings, and he worked for the Barry Granite Association. In 87, he found his way back uh, to uh, to state government. He worked for the Vermont Agency of Commerce and Community Affairs, and he worked there for 16 years. He was the deputy secretary and eventually became the secretary of the agency under, uh, under Governor Howard Dean. He, uh, in 2003, he went on to be executive director of the Northeastern Vermont Development Association, uh, he, he loved that job for 10 years. Um, and I'm reading from the obit now. At, at the end of his life, Steve had no doubt that his proudest personal achievement was the beloved home he and Sally made on a property that had been in her family since 1960, across the brook from the one-room schoolhouse that he attended in his earliest years. And as a guy who lives in a one-room schoolhouse, that's me, um, I know what he, I know how he felt. He always felt he had truly come home and he and Sally created a setting of beauty and comfort for those closest to him. He was always there to lend a non-judgmental ear, a helping hand, a word of encouragement and a heartfelt shared laugh or tear. He loved to laugh and make others laugh. And he was so good at it. About 10 years ago, when I was looking uh, to hire somebody to do some political consulting work, uh, you know, I was looking around and I just really couldn't find anybody. And I thought to myself, I need to find somebody who's reliable, smart, and who understands the history of Vermont state government and how it works. Uh, and I can't remember who it was, but somebody said to me, you should call Steve Patterson. Uh, he's he's over there on the at the homestead in Middlesex and he he'd, he'd be great. And 
boy, we spent two, three years together and he was just, he was uh, really, really uh, a loyal, good guy and good friend. And by the way, if you knew Steve Patterson, uh, a celebration of his life will be held uh, tomorrow, November 25th at 2 p.m. at the Unitarian Church in Montpelier. Uh, that's at 130 Main Street, and there'll be a reception immediately following. Steve Patterson, a really, really good guy. He was 76 years old. Uh, we're going to take a break. I'm Kevin Ellis. We'll take your calls when we come back, 244-1777. And uh, we'll miss Steve Patterson, but um, we have a lot of great memories. We'll be right back. Hey, we're back. It's our Thanksgiving Day show. Well, not Thanksgiving Day. Sorry. It's our Thanksgiving show, and we're giving thanks. Um, and we uh, we had spent... A, Great, great twenty minutes with Rusty Deweese talking about what he did. I love how he, I love how he was, he spent Thanksgiving just by himself, strumming the guitar, making a, a chicken and uh, mashed potatoes and broccoli. You know, everybody's got it uh, their own way, and I'm actually uh, not in Vermont right now. I'm out in the field. I'm in Washington D.C. and it's just you know, you when you're in a city, I gotta say, you just it's amazing how a city operates for better or for worse. And it, it just was brought home to me that Thanksgiving, Christmas, holidays, and regular life are just filled with so many different people. I mean, the people, I, I walked across the street to the Safeway grocery store to get my newspaper and now it's Thanksgiving morning and people are working. I mean, it's 7.30 in the morning and people are working. Talked to a woman, the manager there who was, who had, she had cooked all night, huge smile on her face. Then she was in into the grocery store, setting things up, selling. And I said, what are you, what are you going to do for Thanksgiving? She said, I'm, I'm out of here at 11 o'clock and uh, all the food's prepped. And I'll go put it in the oven when I get home. And she said she had 16, 17 people coming over for a meal. And man, I couldn't believe how hard she was working. Uh, it just, you know, takes all kinds of Police cars, there's all sorts of people who are not eating Thanksgiving Day meal at between 3 and 7 o'clock because they're out fighting fires. They're out being police officers. They're out stringing cable. They're out doing what you do uh, to survive in this society. And um, it was inspiring, I got to say. Um, and now for the really uplifting section of the show, I want to read. Uh, and when it comes to Donald Trump, I know there's a huge uh, argument out there about whether you follow the guy and if if by following him you give him a bigger platform. Um, I, I kind of think, and I was thinking about Ken Squire this morning about whether I should do this, and I I, I have a hunch, and I'd love to get a phone call about this, Two four four one seven seven seven. I would love to know whether people think that Ken would uh, would uh, you know sort of talk about Trump and some of the more uh, nasty things that Trump says. Um, I guess my argument is, you know, I can see Ken uh, sort of banning Trump talk from from the radio show. On the other hand. You know, Ken was a believer in, I was reading and listening to David Goodman's uh, Vermont Conversation 
uh, show about Ken. I, you know, Ken was a guy who believed in lots of different points of view. And, uh, you know, Trump represents, you know, a lot of 100,000 people voted for Donald Trump in, in Vermont in 2016. Um, a lot of people voted for this guy. And so I, 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 I think we got to contend with uh, this issue and keep contending with it. I think if you ban the guy from from uh, from the airwaves, I'm not sure where that gets us in a democracy. So I want to, with without further ado, I want to read uh, Donald Trump's Thanksgiving message, which came to us on X, which used to be called Twitter. Still, Elon Musk bought it and changed the name to X. I'm still on that platform. Uh, I kind of rue the day every day that I am, but uh, it serves a purpose for me. Here's this, this, this is symbolic of how our politics has changed. Uh, Trump's Thanksgiving Day message. Happy Thanksgiving to all, including the racist and incompetent Attorney General of New York State, Letitia Peekaboo James, who has let murder and violent crime flourish and businesses flee. The radical left Trump-hating judge, a psycho, Arthur Engeron, who criminally defrauded the state of New York and me by purposely valuing my assets at a tiny fraction of what they are really worth in order to convict me of fraud before even a trial or seeing any proof and used his politically biased and corrupt campaign finance violator, Chief Clerk Allison Greenfield, to sit by his side on the bench and tell him what to do. And crooked Joe Biden, who has weaponized his Department of Injustice against his political opponent and allowed our country to go to hell, all caps, and all of the other radical left lunatics, communists, fascists, Marxists, Democrats, and rhinos who are seriously looking to destroy our country have no fear, however, we will win the presidential election of 2024 and make America great again. So that's Donald Trump at 2 a.m. Uh, this morning. And I, I wonder if I might focus on one sentence there uh, that says, all of the other radical left lunatics, communists, fascists, Marxists, Democrats, and rhinos who are seriously looking to destroy the country. Uh, I, I don't know what to say about that. That's a, that's a fascinating, you know, when he's sitting there by himself <clears throat> tweeting on his, on his phone uh, about communists and fascists and Marxists, all I could think of was how far our politics has moved um, you know, that's the language of uh, Joe McCarthy back in the uh, back in the 50s when he was ruining the careers of, uh, of people by calling them uh, communists and drumming them out of uh, service, public service in the federal government. Trump's been pretty clear that that is exactly what he's going to try to do if he gets reelected. Uh, and. You got to wonder uh, whether or not this is, you know, this kind of talk is, uh, is you know, it's not real. Uh, you know that he, this is a guy, Donald Trump, who is 
pro, a pro-choice Democrat before he ran for president. Um, but I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see whether the system itself begins to adjust for all this, and whether people um, give up on this guy. I did notice during the paper this morning that Nikki Haley, who is the uh, former governor of South Carolina, who's running in the Republican primary. Um, is, is it seems to be gaining ground and is the seems to be emerging as the second choice to Trump in the presidential uh, in the presidential primary and we'll see if if remember 91 uh, criminal charges against Trump in uh, in, in in recent months uh, he's going to be fighting these charges. Uh, for the next several months and into the election. And I got to think that at some point this begins to weigh him down in a way that makes it really hard to run for president. But uh, so far that has not been the case. Haley, I I know, you know, the papers are filled with uh, young people abandoning uh, Joe Biden uh, that Joe Biden looks old and that the Democrats are uh, deathly afraid that if Trump goes down and Nikki Haley, and we'll get into this with Bob Nay in a couple of minutes, that if Trump goes down and and Nikki Haley becomes the nominee, the Democrats are really afraid that Haley will, will, will beat Biden. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. We're going to talk to Bob Nay about all that and more next. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we welcome your calls, 244-1777, on this uh, Thanksgiving, Day, Thanksgiving uh, time show. And we'll be right back. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. 